Hey, Lovebirds. August is Podcast Appreciation Month, and I want to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of you who have become a contributing Lovebird by making a small but meaningful monthly contribution to me and to this show. It means a ton to me. It really, really does. This show is now one-third of the way to being completely listener-supported, and that means a lot, and it it really helps. It helps to know that you believe in this work. And so if you want to continue to support me and you haven't done so yet, go to thelovedrive.com forward slash join and make a small but incredibly meaningful contribution to this work. Thank you. And here is your episode. Everyone's pleasure is completely different. Everyone actually has a different nerve ending mapping. You can't approach one body or all bodies in the same way. All right, lovebirds, today's episode is all about cultivating pleasure with pleasure educator Euphemia Russell. I am excited about this episode. We talk about how pleasure is fundamental to happiness, productivity, and health. We touch on the role of the central nervous system in pleasure activation, how to relieve stress from our body using simple pleasure techniques, how to increase our pleasure on a small but meaningful daily basis, the role of our peripheral nervous system, how to grow new nerve endings, the power of slow sex. This is an awesome episode, and I'm so grateful to Euphemia. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. I'm ready if you are. Let's do it. Euphemia? Sean. Could you please introduce yourself? My name is Euphemia, and I run a business called I Wish You Knew, which is about teaching practical pleasure and embodiment tools to adults. And I love what I do. On your website, it says, pleasure is health, not a frivolous distraction or something we supposedly don't deserve. Mm-hmm. That's definitely fundamental for me and something that I've seen come up in client after client after client, that it comes back to deservability for people and then believing that it's a distraction from whatever else they're focusing on in life. And I suppose in an era of hustle mentality, pleasure is seen as something that you don't deserve and is not a tool for productivity or health. But actually, it's completely fundamental, and I would happily tell you more about that. Tell me where the idea of pleasure is health comes from for you. It comes from understanding the nervous system and understanding how... Do you know much about the nervous system? I don't. Your nervous system is what the highway that connects your, your mind and your body. And I came to understand more about it when I actually went through a very traumatic experience and I was experiencing PTSD 
And I went and did talk therapy over and over again, and it just brought me flashbacks. And I was feeling completely frozen in my system and unable to function. And then I actually came across somatic therapy and somatic work, and it taught me so much about how to actually realize that pleasure is health. So regulating your nervous system is integral to that. And your central nervous system has two states. It's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So sympathetic, you probably know as like the state of fight, flight, or freeze, where it's so useful when you're potentially running away from a predator or trying to get shit done. So it's what drives our action. But then, of course, with every action, there needs to be rest and recuperation. And as a society, we are stuck in that action, that fight or flight. We're stuck in that feeling of anxiety, that feeling of needing to be constantly productive and and grinding and hustling and working ourselves to the core. And then our nervous systems break down, our immune systems break down, uh, and we have so many problems with knowing how to regulate our bodies and remember that we even live in bodies Whereas the other state of the nervous system is the parasympathetic state, and that's rest and digest. So rest and digest, of course, are the secondary functions to survival, but they are completely the foundation of existence. So when you're in the parasympathetic state, you're actually able to regenerate your cells. It's when your immune system regenerates and is able to build up capacity. It's when you lubricate. It's when your anal sphincters relax. It's when um, many of your organs actually kick in to function. And all of these things are integral to keeping our bodies balanced. But so often people don't know how to switch between those two states. And so we're just grinding our system to nothing, basically. And when you're in the parasympathetic state, that's actually when you're much more aware of the subtleties and nuances in your body. Uh, And so a lot of what I teach is about self-regulation. It's also about understanding that the body is a tool for self-regulation, but also it's a place where you can create so much pleasure through your senses and through sensation and through realizing that it's a connection to the world outside you. So you can actually be aware of how your body is in time and space and relationship to others or to nature. And I just love being able to teach people those resources because so often they're really simple. It's just having the understanding and the language and a moment to remember of, hey, my system's a bit tight, my body's a bit tight, I'm feeling a bit anxious and I'm not sure why. Great, I can do this thing and I can shift my nervous system into the parasympathetic state and then come back to action. And so being able to move there, pleasure is a tool to be able to shift your system to the parasympathetic state and move it back. And that's when you realize, oh, wow, I just refilled my cup and I'm able to be so much more productive and focused now because I took a moment of rest or I took a moment of pleasure. I took a moment to release the stress from my body. Hyper productivity, I think, is extremely deleterious to our health. And one of one of the reasons I left the Bay Area. 
Yeah, I've lived in the Bay Area the last nine months and the impact of this city on my nervous system is a lot. I really have to recuperate and find places to regenerate in, I suppose, the redwoods, the Oakland redwoods, uh, what keep me balanced. The Bay Area is great because there's access to the outdoors. Yeah. Um, I moved to Montreal and even I find this city sometimes to be too hectic. Mm-hmm. And I just spent a weekend canoe camping in the Adirondacks and and making love to my lover and playing with my dog and swimming naked and dream. Ca- yeah, dream. No phone, no uh Fitbit. I took my <laughs> sleep tracking ring off. And you have I, a sleep tracking ring? I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, sleep tracking ring. Um Speaking of parasympathetic, you know, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this stuff can also happen. A lot of it does happen while we sleep. Mm. The rest and digest, right? And and I've made a I've made sleeping a really big priority in my life because I want to recuperate from just the regular friction of life. Mm, Definitely, I am not hyper productive. I am no longer hyper productive. Uh, I I see the value in resting and digesting and recovering and spending time with simple pleasures. Mm, I love that you say that so much. It's really, really important. um, I'll share my focus with you. Maybe it will be useful for you, which the last two years has been do less, better. And that has shifted everything for me. I I don't feel like I'm there. It's a process and I think it will always be a process, but it's such a good reminder for me um, because I definitely have a more sensitive makeup. Some people aren't, I suppose there's spectrum in terms of sensitivity for all our senses and understanding that people are different on that spectrum. Um, and I've come to realize, it seems like you are similar, that we need that regeneration and we really need time and space away from noise and people to be able to do that. How can people move from sympathetic to parasympathetic in a way that's accessible? Because going canoe camping with your lover and swimming naked isn't always an option. Definitely not. And I don't really focus on that. I think people are really good at knowing what their dreams are when it comes to being able to do those things but they don't know how to punctuate their day so I talk about the concept of daily pleasures where there are things that you can do with your own body you don't necessarily need other tools and you can do them alone and they don't cost money Um, and it's a moment to just reset your body and so a lot of the tools that I teach people of how to regulate your nervous system is or to complete your stress response cycle is they take less than 30 seconds and it's exactly the things that i did before we jumped on this call so that i could feel more grounded and more aware of my body and being able to feel relaxed and at ease and centered so the things i work with people in tech startups and tech companies in san francisco And I teach them things that they can do in the office place or that they can do sneakily in the bathroom so that it doesn't feel like this lofty, distant goal of one day I'll have a holiday. It's okay, great. Now I can B 
be in my body, I can feel pleasure, I can self-regulate, and I can find more balance in each moment. And I often use the analogy or the visualization for people of like, be the drip of water that wears away the stone. You don't have to be able to do it all in one motion and build up to it because otherwise it becomes very distant from your reality. Could you give us an example of a daily pleasure that we might be able to do today right now? Well, it depends on the person. So depending on their senses, potentially some people find smell much more uh, rejuvenating and they enjoy it and they find so much more pleasure in it. Maybe it's more visual, maybe it's auditory, but it depends on the person. I get people to write a list of things that they enjoy to do. Maybe it's just stopping to smell a flower. Maybe it's not looking at their phone when they walk to the bus stop. Potentially it's going and going to a park that they know has friendly dogs and just going to pat them. Potentially it's while they... When they have a shower and something that you do so often it's built into your system, how do you make those daily motions a little more pleasurable and taking a little bit more time to enjoy them? So potentially when you're washing yourself in the shower, instead of just doing the washing of your body that you probably do it in the same order every time, you take a little bit more time and care. But you're just like, oh, hey, buddy. I have a body. How does it feel when I touch my body and use soap on my body or use a loofah? Um, How can I take a little bit more care with it? Or when you pat yourself down with your towel afterwards, potentially it's just being like, oh, I love self-massage. So I'm just going to take a minute extra each time I shower to massage myself with moisturizer afterwards. So it's things that you can incorporate into your day And I really encourage people to make a list so that they can be reminded because so often when we're stressed, we dissociate and we get stuck in our brains and we totally forget all the things that we enjoy. We just become completely blank. So I suggest people make a list on their phone and then they can refer to it when they're like, I'm feeling anxious. And then building that habit and connection of being like, oh, I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling tense. What can I do? Or how, what, maybe waking up each morning being like, what's one thing on this list that I can incorporate into my day today? You're talking about getting curious, mm-hmm. again, still. Great word. <laughs> about what it is that brings us pleasure. Mm-hmm. But also, you're talking about bringing a level of care and attention to our daily practices that we might not because we haven't prioritized it or because we are quote unquote too busy Mm -hmm. or don't think we deserve it or don't think we deserve it. Yeah. Or we don't even know what we want and we need. So, so many people don't know what they want and need because they've never been asked or they haven't asked themselves. Uh, And so it's a chance to reflect on that. And the more you build that understanding, I say, Sex is a social skill, pleasure is a practice, embodiment is something you need to cultivate. And same as communication with yourself, you need to, it's like a muscle you need to build. And being able to have these little moments of being like, oh yeah, I really enjoy doing this. I want to do this more. And setting that focus of being like, yeah, I want to 
to experience this more often. And as you say, like being curious of what else is there and moving through your day and being like, oh gosh, I enjoy that so much. I want to do that more. Sometimes you have to record, right? Like write down things that you enjoy, like record it in the moment so that you can remember it later. Mm -hmm. And if you continuously do that with, with whatever, if you bring attention to something that you want to cultivate, well, you'll eventually have more awareness around it. Yeah, I agree. I find it incredibly powerful. It's like an external, external externalization of yourself. And then it becomes a mirror back to you of being like, oh, wow, there's words on a page that reflect me. A lot of the work that I do with my clients is to explore mm. what what it is that that they need and they desire what are their fears what are their boundaries mm. so that they can identify it when they see it mm-hmm. right so if they're looking at how to have a healthy relationship and what does a healthy relationship look like let's get curious about what does that mean to have a healthy relationship mm. so that when you see it you can recognize it yeah distilling that yeah same with pleasure right oh i I want more pleasure in my life. Okay. What does pleasure mean for you? Yeah. Everyone's pleasure is completely different, which is such a joy and also why it's a lifelong process, a beautifully lifelong process that you will never master, but only enjoy, hopefully. And how is this discovery of our own individual pleasure, how is that connected to this idea of sensation mapping that you have done work around? Mm. Everybody's peripheral nervous system, which is your nerve endings. Uh, So say, for example, your peripheral nervous system is what sends information back to your central nervous system where, say, you touch something a bit too hot and you pull away. That that's your peripheral nervous system in action. It's the sensations and the nerve endings that receive information on each receptor. And that is how pleasure also works. Of course, there's arousal tissue, but in terms of your nerve endings, everyone actually has a different nerve ending mapping, which I find so fascinating because it means that you can't approach one body or all bodies in the same way. And it's also getting to know your own body and your quirks and your ultimate sensations in particular areas and how that feels and creating combinations of different parts of your body and understanding the different sensations that you may be enjoying more than others. I found out recently that itch, for example, have has its own receptors. It's not like a low threshold pain. It's specifically itching. And that is deeply fascinating to me. And to realize that maybe when people say, oh, I actually don't enjoy that kind of pleasure or I don't like to be touched here, but I really enjoy being touched here. That's coming to understand your nerve ending mapping and how your body works and where you feel pleasure. And it's an incredible way of realizing that 
you can grow your capacity for pleasure over time as well. Because the more you invest in your pleasure, you can actually grow new nerve endings. So we understand, say, for example, with the brain, you can create new neural pathways, you can create new synapses. You can do the same thing with the peripheral nervous system. So literally, you prioritizing your pleasure means it's an investment in your pleasure. Like I like to say that masturbation is your research and your development. You're investing in yourself. You're investing in your future pleasure and your own body of being able to say, oh, when I experience this sensation more often, I'll be able to feel even more pleasure and the subtleties and the nuances and the sensitivity to it will be higher. The idea that you can grow new nerve endings is completely wild and also extremely exciting. Mm-hmm. And also like, oh yeah, of course you could. That makes sense. But just like, wow, what a great reframe. Pleasure is the best. We're pretty complex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're malleable and we have the capacity to grow in so many different ways. Definitely. I suppose it's like... uh My background is in community cultural development. So we used to talk a lot about the idea of desire lines. And desire lines is basically, say, for example, if you create a park and the the path is straight, there's no curves to it, but the playground, for example, is off to the right. And through the grass, there becomes this sort of walkway where it's worn down to the dirt. And that in town planning is considered a desire line it's where everyone naturally wants to go and it's understanding i suppose when it comes to the body like where is your desire where is where are the areas how do you follow them how do you cultivate them the desire line seems to me like especially when we're talking about city planning Mm -hmm. the quickest way to get from a to b Mm-hmm. It often is the shortcut. How can I get to the park, the, the playground as quickly as possible? Mm-hmm. And as I'm digging into your work, I'm starting to realize that oftentimes the quickest way isn't always the best way. <laughs> I really appreciate that reflection. <laughs> because it's not very, there's nothing nuanced about a well worn path from the sidewalk to the playground. No. And and it sort of actually sounds kind of like a rut. <laughs> <laughs> but it's effective. It is. It's definitely, I suppose the analogy or the equivalent is the first way you learn to masturbate, you know that you're pretty much always going to be able to come from that technique and those sequences of touch. And people do get stuck in those things and don't actually explore through self-pleasure, for example. That is definitely, you know, a quickie when you're tired or stressed or feeling worried can be great, but doing it over and over again, you're totally right. It becomes a rut or a desire line. I like that a lot. Or a quickie when you know that the FedEx guy is, you know, two houses away. Mm-hmm. The quick quickies can be extremely beneficial as well. Totally. I think they often have an external pressure to them, though. That's what makes them exciting. You're either going to be caught or you're going to have to go. So you need to maximize that time. And that's what makes them exciting. 
but a quickie when there's no external p- pressure. I don't. Uh, if there's no reason for a quickie, then let's have a longie instead. <laughs> I think you should make that your slogan for life. <laughs> it's it's one of my slow. I think I'm going to get a whole book of bumper stickers. You should <laughs> send me one, please. I will. I will. Um, yeah, like this this concept of exploring. What's <laughs> appealing to you? No, well, I hadn't finished. I was still thinking about. I I love exploration. Yeah. And what I do in my work often is exploring with my clients what it is that they are coming to me with, right? And how could they do it differently? Because oftentimes when you come to me or to a coach, it's because what you're doing isn't really working anymore. Mm -hmm. Or it's not getting you the results that you want. Yeah. Or it never worked. Or it never worked. Oh, yeah. It never worked. And it it is something that you learned from your role models or your family of origin or, or who knows where you picked it up, right? Mm-hmm. So I like the idea that in your work, you're also exploring with people different types of pleasure and sensations or different types of sensations that bring pleasure so that your, your new map is a lot richer than it yeah. was before. And your playground has more than one path, right? Your park <laughs> your park has more than one path to the playground. <laughs> this is becoming a great analogy. <laughs> I love analogies. I did a yeah. whole coaching program on metaphors. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and you talk in your work about the power of slow sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do a whole workshop on it. That's how much I believe in it. You you believe in it so much that you have a workshop in it? Yeah, the workshop's called The Power of Slow Sex. I've got one that's happening online in a couple of months. Oh, good. Well, this episode will air before then, so. Amazing. Can you tell me a little bit more about the this concept of the power of slow sex? Mm. So when I was talking about the different sensations before, there's actually different receptors for soft touch and hard touch or soft pressure and hard pressure. And something I learned from two people I admire deeply, uh, who you probably know because you used to live here, Dr. Carol Queen and Dr. Robert Lawrence. They're basically the ancestors or the, the four people when it comes to sex education in the US. And I did such an amazing workshop with them where I learned for the first time that when you touch yourself gently, you actually are lighting up the receptors. But as soon as you touch yourself in with heavy touch, those soft touch receptors actually turn off. And so basically this workshop that I focus on of the power of slow sex focuses on how to actually build a whole range and spectrum of sensations where you get to slowly build up and be able to explore as many options as you want. I often 
present to my clients and people who come to my workshops that it's just looking at all the options or I teach all the options so that they can decide what feels good for them. And the beauty of slow sex is that you can actually have that time to build up. And often we, as we said, the quickie and the longy, often we are going through the motions when it comes to pleasure, particularly with other people, where there's a certain sense of performativity of being like, oh, yeah, when I have sex in this way, do I look good? Um, or do I look d- desirable? Do I feel desirable? Rather than coming back to yourself and being like, what do I want? What feels good for me right now? And when you go slowly, you make yourself more available to yourself. And I suppose there are so few moments in our days where we're truly available to ourselves. And when you become available to yourself and actually have space to feel, it's amazing the level of sensitivity or the nuances and the subtleties in your body that you pick up. But it also allows you to practice not being performative and defaulting to the person that you're with or the people you're with and how you think that that it might look good for them and coming back into your body and being truly embodied in your movements so you can actually feel, oh, that feels good. I want to follow that feeling. I want to explore. I want to be curious with that feeling or focusing on different parts of the body and taking time to really be able to explore a part of the body that maybe you wouldn't when you're going in that sequence of positions or ways of having sex that you do. Wow. Mm. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. It's taken me a long time to realize that in my personal practice too. We should probably just do a whole episode on the power of slow sex next time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You should come to my workshop too. I'm excited for you. I'm coming to your workshop. (laughs) Wait, did you say it was online? Mm -hmm. Oh, well then I'm coming to your workshop. Great. I'd actually already made made up my mind when you started talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. I love teaching about it. I love that you're talking about this concept of performativity and the way I've sort of seen it come up for me in my life is this very consistent way of having sex. Mm-hmm. Make out, oral, mm-hmm. penetrate, mm-hmm. orgasm, mm-hmm. cuddle. Mm-hmm. Which, cool, it works. It's also incredibly limiting. Yeah. And it it's not very nuanced and it's not explorative. And I feel like it leaves a lot off the table. Yeah. And to cultivate something different requires slowing down. Yeah. And And a new approach. A new approach. Yeah. And letting go of expectations around performing and orgasm. Yeah, definitely. I think there's so many reasons for that sequence. I'm going to say something that's probably not a popular opinion, but I hate the word foreplay. I hate it. 
because it implies a hierarchy of actions and a hierarchy of pleasurable activities. And also it's not queer inclusive because some people, what other people can consider foreplay might be the focus for some people. Right. And so that sequence can be really potentially quite negative and also something that we've learned uh, through mimicking others. So I think often from porn, and I do a lot of porn screening, so I've done a lot in the past in Australia and here to show production houses that do amazing things and reimagining what that looks like instead of it being a particular sequence every time. And it's really refreshing to see. I've been enjoying Dan Savage's... What's the... Oh, um, oh my gosh, I forgot and I just went through it a couple of months ago, the porn screening. I'm making you do the work here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I went to it just... Um, hump. Hump. Hump first. Hump first. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> yeah, I so much different... Ver- so much variety. Yeah. And I appreciate that candid porn is becoming much more a focus as well. The what kind of porn? Candid. What's Basically can- like supposedly real couples or real people or real group sex rather than more scripted. Oh, yeah. I like the idea of being able to see people actually, quote unquote, having sex and not performing for the camera. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to see the little hiccups and the awkward moments and the laughs and the things that contextualize that dynamic as well is so nice. Yeah. There's no awkward moment in mainstream porn. Mm -hmm. I mean, other than the whole thing being kind of awkward. Yeah. I, so I teach in schools through an organization here. Uh, I teach grade four to grade eight and I often, we talk about porn and how they learn that because of course the internet has become such a place of knowledge that they are circumventing their parents to ask questions and just going straight to the internet and then stumbling across porn and being like whoa what is this and we often the example i use is that when you watch a jackie chan movie you know you don't know how to fight by the end but it's all about fighting and it's similar with porn that often with porn it's about fantasy, it's about entertainment, and that you don't necessarily know how to have sex by the end, but you've watched sex. And of course, there's exceptions to that with more instructional porn that's coming out, which is cool. But it's a a good reminder that porn isn't actually a manual of how to. It's just something that is fantastical, or often seen as in this created in this fantasy. And it's one way to have sex. Totally. It's a good way to get ideas, too. There is a variety of porn. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of things that you can go, oh, maybe I'd like to add that to my bucket list. Yeah. Or like, wow, cool. I don't need to try that. I know I definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> I guess not knowing what you don't want also can inform what you do want. Mm-hmm. And I think for, that's a, a really useful place for people to start because often for people who don't know what they want and need because they 
prioritize people before themselves or have been socialized to do that. Often women um, are socialized to please everyone before they please themselves. That starting with the what you don't want can actually help you narrow it down because that question of what do you want can be really overwhelming. It's big. It can be big. Mm-hmm. A lot of my clients say, actually, I'm not sure what I want. I know what I don't want. So we go, okay, let's start with that. And then we'll, <laughs> we'll look at the other side of, of that. Perfect. I'm working on some resources for emotional availability, and I wasn't able to find any definitions of emotional availability, <laughs> only emotional unavailability. <laughs> so through all the studies and the work on emotional unavailability, I was able to come up with a definition of what emo- emotional availability looks like. And what did you, what's the definition? Well, there's no, I, I guess I misspoke when I said definition, but I, but what I came up with was a sort of a list of qualities mm. that signify or are trademarks of emotional availability, like transparency, honesty, secure, security, mm. um, consistency. Um, the ability to see yourself as needing work, mm. right? so self-awareness, the ability, like growth mentality. Yeah, growth mentality. This, all these qualities of what it means to be social, uh, to be emotionally available. Yeah, I suppose that also ties in with emotional intelligence. It's probably quite similar. Now I have to go look that up. <laughs> You're like more homework. <laughs> There's so much homework. There is so much. But it's exciting. Lucky it's fun. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to hear when that comes out. What is it going to be? Well, I think it might actually be a video course. Cool. Yeah. I think it's time for a video course. Stand by, everybody. <laughs> In the meantime, get on the newsletter that isn't ready to be gotten on yet. <laughs> You're creating a newsletter list? Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all part of the 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 big picture. So, you know. It's a, it's a lot of work to do alone. It is, yeah. I feel really uh, honored when people sign up to my newsletter list because I feel like it's one of the most intimate forms of communication nowadays. You know, people are so protective of their inboxes, so I try and be very mindful of that. And before we leave, we'll get all the information that people need in order to find out more about you and your work and how to get on this, what sounds like to be a very intimate slice of your life. Yeah. I like to share a lot of resources there. And then you also get to share the things you can't share on social media because they're not as, or because there's restrictions. Yeah. Or you're scared of getting blocked on Instagram. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Coming back to this, idea of slow sex and these soft touch and hard touch Mm -hmm. soft touch for me feels really good but i have to practice a lot of patience Mm. and i've had mind-blowing orgasms with just softly touching myself Mm -hmm. and it is a completely different set of sensations and it is incredibly pleasurable. And I have to also practice a lot of (laughs) self-restraint to not switch into something that is uh, more instantly gratifying. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the challenges of slow sex is to begin to value 
what happens when you slow down. And this idea that it, it's not as easy as the, you know, the direct path to the playground. But mm. it's also can bring a variety of sensations that, that you're not used to. And that can be incredibly pleasurable and that you can now add to your toolkit. Yeah. Yeah, it can be scary going slow. Being able to feel everything. Mm. We so often, I suppose, live in a state of quick because it feels safer to be more in our minds than our bodies. And I suppose that comes from all the small traumas, all the big traumas that we've everyone has experienced. That if you don't know how to process your trauma, then going slow means you're actually available to yourself and you're not numbing or distancing yourself from those things. And so that's why I definitely work so much with trauma and being trauma-informed in my work because you can't talk about pleasure without talking about pain or discomfort or trauma in the same motion. And I suppose that's why so many people rush and hurry is partly because of feelings of self-worth of being fast and productive and oh i'm so busy as a, a sign that you're worth a lot but then also just slowing down can be so scary because you feel things that maybe you're worried to feel and that you're not dissociating you know dissociation can be such a useful tool in the short term where you dissociate from a situation to protect yourself, but then we get stuck in that state. And like any tool when it comes to coping, it's amazing in the short term and really harmful in the long term. So going slow for a lot of people can feel really confronting, even just like slow motions and movement. Seems like it would be a a vulnerable place to be. Yeah, I think so. And you, you know, if you're doing this with a partner, you sort of have to open up as well mm -hmm. and perhaps be seen in a way that you're not used to being seen in. Definitely. Yeah. And being vulnerable with your body when you're not completely sure if you're safe or you have messaging that you're not safe in your body from other and past circumstances can make it so much harder to feel safe even when your mind is saying this person is okay i trust them the conditioning and the trauma prevent you from really opening up yeah it can be hard to process that trauma and hard to shift that self-narrative if you don't have the right tools what can people do to start being more in their body yeah, understanding more about the nervous system. I've got a workshop called The Kinky Science of Pleasure, which goes through all of the tools, inbuilt tools for arousal and magnification, but also how to self-regulate in that process so that you can learn to come more into your body. And I tailor that so that it's useful to everyone. But also somatic experiencing, the somatic therapy work I was talking about, 
at the start, I think is incredibly valuable. And understanding trauma more, if you have the spoons or you have the capacity, is I've got a blog on my website that's all trauma resources for people to read so that they can come to understand it more for themselves. And I wrote that guide and those resources because I believe that this should just be common knowledge and that people deserve to understand how their body and their life is being impacted. We all need more tools. We do. And you've given us quite a bit. You've given us trauma resource links, somatic therapy, Mm -hmm. ideas, workshops, Mm -hmm. coaching. Coaching, yeah. A newsletter. A newsletter, exactly. An expression that I've never heard before, if you've got the spoons. (laughs) Yeah, you want me to explain that? Sure. Oh, uh, wait, spoons theory. I've heard of this. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, please explain it. (laughs) So I really like it. I suppose it's also an analogy, so you're going to like it too. Um, which comes from a background of disability of people who have physical disabilities or mental, um, where they only have a particular capacity because they're dealing with other things. Uh, and when people, for example, are experiencing trauma, their capacity is potentially smaller. They're operating from a place of surviving rather than maybe thriving. And so knowing your capacity uh, either physically or mentally, emotionally, uh, is really important. And also understanding that invisible illnesses or chronic illnesses, you can assume a particular capacity from someone, but they might actually have a much smaller capacity. So making sure that you can ask people, hey, do you have the capacity to do this? Is this a priority for you? Do you have the spoons? Uh, and I suggest that if you're interested, then just looking up spoon theory again, but it's a really nice way of being able to have a casual conversation about those things rather than being like, oh, how are you feeling processing that trauma or how are you feeling with your pain levels today? Um, You can just be like, do you have the spoons? Is this a priority? And the the idea is that you start your day with a finite number of spoons. Exactly. And if you have some trauma or a disability that reduces your capacity for processing stuff, then Mm -hmm. uh, your spoons get allocated to other stuff. Exactly. And when you're out of spoons, you're out of spoons for the day. Mm -hmm. And that perhaps you've reached your capacity for processing. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're having mental health challenges, your spoons will be less. Maybe having a shower will use all of your spoons for one day. I thought that that was some sort of Australian expression that I (laughs) hadn't heard before. Oh my gosh, everyone assumes that anything I say is Australian. (laughs) Like I'm in an individual too, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to, you know, clump you with all of the other Australians. But I live in Canada and I'm French Canadian. There's a lot of French, like France, French people here and they have their expressions and we have our expressions and on almost a daily basis, if at least a weekly basis, I hear new expressions 
that I never heard before that I just assume are cultural expressions and not some theory that I'm not familiar with. Mm, I feel the same living in the U.S. I've only lived here for nine months, but I've lived here in the past, but I'm still discovering things. And I'm like, what? Anything that you can share with us this week? Any new lexicon? Oh, that's a good question. It's not always lexicon. It's also just history or potentially ways of doing things like words for very particular things. Say, for example, I wrote a post this week about my intention for my work of that when we are connected to our bodies, we're connected to our surroundings and to others and to the ecosystems around us and that I believe that the way that we have a connection to our bodies is the way that we have a connection to the planet and that we understand which, what's called like personal ecology. We understand the impact that we have when we move through a space more, when we are more embodied. And at the end of the post, it was a picture of me where I was next to a river in nature And I said something about, here is me doing a power kneel after a river Maz. And Maz is spelled M-A-Z. And I had so many questions from people being like, what is a Maz? And and I was like, oh, it's just Australian slang for masturbation. Um, And so there's these constant little things that I assume people know or they assume I know that even in my work, I have to code switch. Um, or say, for example, I use the traffic light analogy for consent where red is stop and yellow is check in or just a breather and green is hell yes, let's do this. In Australia, we call that yellow, we call that amber. So there's lots of little things that I just have to switch even in my work and when I present workshops that I have to be aware of. Um, but yes, happening always happens every week that there's something. Just a little river, Maz. Mm-hmm. No big deal. No big deal at all. <laughs> Did you hear the uh, the? <laughs> this is so random. The Mitch Hedberg joke about uh, traffic lights and bananas. No. And how how no. they're they're that's the opposite. You know, traffic light green means go, yellow means wait or careful, and red means stop. Well, in bananas. Green means wait, yellow means go, and red means where the fuck did you get that banana at? (laughs) I like that. (laughs) You've got a cute laugh. (sighs) Thanks. I appreciate that. Mm. Where can we find you? My website, which is I wish you knew. Dot net, and I wish you knew is the name of my business. And Instagram is my favorite social media platform, and my handle on that is sex. I wish you knew. You're welcome to send me DMs there with questions anytime. I'm always down to be helpful. Just ask first, be respectful. Um, and then also on my website, you can sign up for the newsletters we were talking about before which I send between sort of two and four weeks resources around different things that I'm focusing on at the time that I think are useful to others. 
Um, and if you want to email me directly, then my name is Euphemia. And I often say like euphemism because it helps people remember. And my email is E-U-P-H-E-M-I-A at IWishYouKnew.net. I'm always down to receive emails there. But on my website is all of the online workshops. And I also am selling a curved glass wand called Randy, which I'm really excited about because a lot of people, I do uh, technique-based workshops, the sort of kinky exploration technique kind of workshops. Um, And... So many people don't have the right tools to explore vaginally or anally. So if you're interested in exploring that, this is an excellent tool to do that. And I'm also selling as part of the wand, it is access to videos of how to explore your G-spot or your prostate uh, so that people can feel supported when they have the toy and they're at home and they're like, what do I do with it? So they're the best ways to be in touch or learn more at the moment. The Randy can be used at home. It could also be used, I suspect, on the side of a river. <laughs> uh-huh. Or yeah. wherever you choose to maz. Exactly. Yeah. Make it your own. The beauty of it as well is that it's made of Pyrex so that you can actually cool it or heat it, which I love for sensation play. Uh, so you could cool it down in the river and then use it. Or you can cook with it. Or you can cook with it. Exactly. Yeah. I also appreciate it's recyclable because there's so many crappy toys out there that just go into landfill. Well, you you wouldn't recycle it unless you broke it, I got to suspect. Which is hopefully never. But also the beauty is that you can completely disinfect it. Unlike um, crystal toys, they're porous so they can trap bacteria in them. Um, Pyrex is completely, you can actually use it between people and vaginally or anally because you can completely disinfect it by boiling it between uses. Do you hear that, people? Your crystal dildo is porous. Yeah, so many people don't know that. What about a marble dildo? Yeah, also porous. Okay. Hmm. Um, Actually, no, that's a good question. Maybe marble isn't porous. I'll double check that for you. We can put it in the workshop notes or rather the podcast notes. I will... In the outro. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a shame that uh, it depends on your pH and in terms of like the balance of your vagina or your rectum. But some people are a lot more sensitive and using crystal ones can lead to imbalance in for pH and bacterial infections and thrush and so on. So it's, I wish new, p- more people knew about it, but I also don't want to dampen people's experiences who have a great time with them. Also, you got to be careful with the crystal ones. They can really throw your chakras all out of balance. (laughs) Yeah. It's really interesting seeing that that crystal ones have become like a fad, like seeing the different things that trend in the sex and pleasure space. And that's definitely one of them at the moment. (laughs) I've got one question for you. One final question. Please. What does love mean to you? Hmm. Rising up. A lot of people talk about falling in love. And I really like the idea of rising up and lifting each other up. 
and also loving when learning to love and let free, being able to create space for each other. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Such a pleasure. And scene. <laughs> Hey, lovebirds. Thank you for spending this hour with myself and Euphemia learning about pleasure. By the way, marble is porous, just like those fancy countertops of yours. Your marble dildo is porous. Your Pyrex one is not. I am working on a series of courses and workshops. I don't know when they'll be released, but the best way to stay in touch is to join my newsletter Go to thelovedrive.com forward slash newsletter to sign up. I'll keep you in the loop on these programs that I'm working on. I'm working on a group coaching program. I'm working on a workshop called Desires, Needs, and Boundaries. There's going to be some sort of course on communicating around your sexuality. And if you want to be the first to know about all these programs and courses and other stuff that I'm working on and also any sort of promotions that I'm running for my private one-on-one coaching, then go to thelovedrive.com forward slash newsletter, or there's a link in the show notes for this episode. Have a most pleasurable of weeks. Mm -hmm.